Hi and welcome to Raise Your Vibes with Miriam Khan. Today I'm really pleased to have an amazing guest on my show and this particular guest is someone I've been trying to get hold of for a while. Um, her name is Naima Robert, B. Robert I should say. Naima, welcome to our show. Please introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about yourself. Great, uh, lovely to be here. My name is Naima B. Robert, as you said, and uh, the B stands for Bint, which means daughter, meaning my dad's name is Robert. <laughs> so I'm basically Naima, <laughs> daughter of Robert. Um, and I'm uh, an award-winning author, um, editor, speaker, and coach. And it's great to be here. It's great to meet you. How did you start with your writing, if, you, if we go back? Because you've been writing a while, and I personally hadn't come across you. I, I'm, I'm a published author myself. I started last year for the first time. Wow. And I came across you through Mufti Menk, of all people. Nice. And I think it was yeah. this, your book that you did together, Let It Go, I believe it is, yeah? Yes. And yes, is, yeah. since then, I've been following you and I've been watching you. But obviously, can you give our listeners the background to, to yourself and how you started? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, going way back to my childhood, I was surrounded by people. Uh, my father was in theatre and he, he used to tell us stories, make up stories, um, you know, when we put us to bed. Um, we still have some of them recorded, actually, I think, on yeah. cassette tape. Um, <laughs> But uh, so, so he used to tell us these amazingly detailed stories. And then my paternal grandmother, Granny Ev, she used to send us this series called Storytellers. And I don't know whether any of your listeners are familiar with Storytellers, but it was a series that was published by um, Marshall Cavendish. And you used to be able to guess it from the newsagent. And it came with a cassette and a magazine. And just amazing stories like... Uh, told by seasoned actors, a lot of famous people, you know, Miriam Margoyles, for example, yeah. she, she, Joanna Lumley did some, there, there are lots of, you know, kind of, when, when you grow up, you realize, oh, that was Joanna Lumley <laughs> reading The Midas Touch, okay, um, but, uh, but we just, we loved them, and she used to, used to send them to us from, uh, from the, she, she organized to get them to us while we were living in Zimbabwe, so we yeah. had two series of those, and we listened to them constantly, um, because we didn't really have a TV for quite a long time, yeah, so we used to listen to stories, we used to play stories, we used to make up stories. Um, and then I just continued to have this connection with storytelling through high school. But, important note, I never wanted to be a writer. Wow, what did you want to be? I was, I was, oh, I did not <laughs> want to be a writer because as far as I was concerned, writers are broke. And that is pretty much true, to be honest. In general, writers are quite broke. Uh, most writers have to have a day job in order Correct. to be able to write. Um, unless they get a bestseller, unless they're Jake Kaling, or they, they have a popular, a popular they, 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 unless they're popular and they write a lot of books, uh, most of our authors, especially children's book authors, need a day job. Yeah. Anyway, so I wasn't about that life. <laughs> I wanted to have a lot of money. <laughs> so I thought being an entrepreneur was the best thing for me. Um, and so I, I did nothing to do with writing at university. I did French with business and politics. Um, and then I, after that, I was teaching, and it was only when I had my first uh, that I, I kind of the idea of writing came to me, and mainly mm. because we would go to the library once, twice a week, pick out fifteen books at a time. Yeah, absolutely loved the books. You know, I still have, of course, you know, so many of those books that became a part of our our family culture. Really, yeah, yeah. you know, Tiger who came to tea. Um, 
so These many, are so many, so much. Oh, so, so many, yeah. anyway. Um, but there were, at the time, no stories about Muslims or Islam in the library. Nothing nothing like what was available yeah. for, for just the general population in yeah. terms of, in terms of, for me, it was in terms of the wonder um, and the, 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 the child friendliness of mm. so many of the books that were available. Um, you know, the sense of kind of wonder or or anything emotional. I just didn't see anything. Yeah. And that, that concerned me because I thought my child is growing up reading about people who, who, who yeah, he loves the stories, but that's not his life. And yeah. he never reads about people who, you know, have a name similar to his or who, you know, that the family looks anywhere near how our family looks. And that's really what got me started writing because I really wanted my child to be able to see himself reflected in the books that he was enjoying. Sure. So that got me, set me off on a, on a journey to learn about writing for children. So I, at the time, the internet was just kind of coming into its, its uh, it was growing up, you know, and there were so many people online that were offering free advice and workshops and training in the children's book world. So I just gobbled it up. There was a website called Write for Kids, uh, W-R-I-T-E for the digit and then kids.com some uh, guys out in the States, and they just had a wealth of information, so much about every aspect of the industry, about the genre, about, you know, writing tips and skills and everything. So I just, I just hoovered it all up, um, <laughs> and I started writing. And they were pretty bad, the stories, at the beginning. They were, they were pretty cringy, yes. There's nothing wrong with cringy. We, we have to start somewhere. You know, my background is an English teacher, and I always say to my kids, yeah. look, you, you start with the draft, you edit, you tweak. I like saying uh, tweak, yeah. because we always yes. have this failure, don't we? We have this failure idea yeah. in our head, and we shouldn't. We just think, okay, that's draft one, let's, re let's tweak yeah. it, edit it, draft two. So what did exactly. you do after that? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I was writing, I have a whole, like, mini exercise book full of really terrible <laughs> like I was trying to write for Osborne I don't know whether you remember Ted yeah. on a red bed yeah and those uh, I was trying to do my own versions <laughs> of Ted on a red bed and Sam sheep can't sleep and it was just it was bad but then I started to get some original ideas and I, I kind of worked on a bank of original ideas and my, my husband really kind of encouraged me and pushed me actually to send them off to publishers and these were now by this time, I had developed some kind of voice. So yeah. the, one of the first publishers that I reached out to, Mantra Lingua, they actually got back to me about a very simple 12 lines. I think it was like a 12, 24-line uh, uh, poem, really, about a girl playing with her mother's hijab. And they just loved it. And they sent me a letter, offered me a contract immediately. Yeah. So that book became The Swirling Hijab. So that was my first book that came out. And then I worked with them did several books with them they introduced me to another publisher did more books with them that publisher became my agent introduced me to uh, random house where you know i wrote from my sister's lips yes. and then we went into the ya novels with francis lincoln and you know it's kind of that's how that's how it all began okay brilliant long story long story <laughs> no but long story but an important story because all of us start at different aspects and i can relate to what you're saying one one is an english teacher but also, like, I can understand exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about colour. 
and you're talking about role models and you're talking about people that represent you. Um, I grew up in Sheffield, you know, you know, in England, and I've lived in Leeds for about 15 years. I'm 43 now. But growing up back then in those days, there was no teachers of brown colour. None. Nada. Yeah. You were very, very lucky in the junior school for me to have one teacher that was um, Caribbean descent. And I remember all those brown kids, and when I say brown kids, you know, we were the first generation born that were from the UK, right? And um, I can remember them putting us all together, so anyone that was Oriental, anyone that was uh, Jamaican, (laughs) I know it sounds funny, but this is what they did. Anyone that was um, (laughs) Trinidadian background, you know, um, the Windrush generation, there was also, they put us with this teaching assistant, and I don't know where they got her from, but she was Sikh. And I remember one of the teachers saying, it's okay, she understands you. And I'm like, no, because she's Sikh and Muslim. (laughs) And you're having to, even though they're your educators, they didn't mean it in a a rude way. They just generalized. But you're right, there's, there's not many texts out there. And it's only when you go and work, uh, like now I'm working internationally. So internationally, when I'm working in different countries, like I've worked in Egypt, I've worked in other countries as well, in the Middle East, that you actually see texts that are written by people of brown skin, brown colour. But getting them into the mainstream education, that's a different ballgame. Getting them into the classroom, that's a different category, you know. Uh, You might remember Fluella Benjamin. I think she was probably like the only one I can remember way, way, way back at school. So, you know, what you're doing right now, you might not realize it. You're having like a ripple effect. It might not have a a ripple effect right now in a massive way, but at some point it will, inshallah. Yes, it's interesting you say that because actually the, the wonderful thing about the publishers that I ended up working with is that their main markets were actually schools and libraries. So a lot of people actually come across my work in libraries and at schools, not uh, in a bookshop or because their parents bought the book and brought it home. Uh, So that has been really, really wonderful because the books I did with Mantraling were published and they were in bilingual, about 14 bilingual editions. Wow. Um, And then with the YA novels, a lot of them, uh, they go to, you know, high school libraries anyway and just in general libraries, but also they've been studied in school as well. Um, One of them was part of a World Book Day pack. So I came in before the publishing industry had you know, a policy about representation Mm. and inclusion and diversity. That's been, I'd say, more the last 10 years. Before that, there were only a few publishers that published diverse authors, and Frances Lincoln was one of them. But the good thing was that because Frances Lincoln was one of them, that was their USP. So when they went to libraries and they went to schools, they're like, look, you've got these multicultural classrooms, but you have no multicultural books. You have no, no books by authors that are not English. So here's what we have. And so that's one of the reasons why those books did really, really well, because they were, there were only a few of them at the time. So I kind of came in before you know, things started changing. And of course, they have changed so much now um, when it comes to, you know, uh, literature by all sorts of, you know, different diverse uh, people from all sorts of backgrounds. It's a very different landscape now to the one when I came in. And whether that's within the school sector or the library sector or, you know, even within the sort of Muslim book market, it's it's just exploded. Um, And now I'm happy to say I can 
point to so many other women in my space and men in my space who are writing from their communities and for their communities who have done really well with traditional publishers and whose books have been accepted and kind of taken taken into the the canon if you like so um yeah it's a very different world now from what it was like when i when i was starting out good and it's good it's good to see that change like you know for the future generation but you didn't just stop there with the book writing have you you've gone into doing coaching and supporting so can you talk us through that as well that type of Yeah, I mean, I think that the last novel that I wrote was a good six years ago. I'm apparently working on another one, but I'm not doing very well with it, to be honest. But the last novel that I wrote was six years ago. I've done quite a lot of children's books since then. So I think we're about 28 books so far. Wow, that's Um, amazing. Which is great. My goal is 50. So I'm working hard to get towards that goal. Children's books are an easy win. <laughs> so <laughs> the Mufti Meng book was an easy win. Yeah. Um, there are others coming in the pipeline with other influential uh, figures, which is wonderful. Um, but uh, what I started in 2018 is I started teaching. So I started teaching and training other women like me who wanted to write and who just didn't know how to begin. Yeah. Uh, so my first workshop ever was a children's book workshop which was an, a resounding success. It was amazing. And I'm just so happy now because the community that we started in 2018, there are about sort of 18,000 of them in a Facebook group. Wow. And then we've got hundreds of students and clients who've worked with us. And three of our clients just won awards at the Daybreak um, That's amazing. Awards. That's amazing. So we're, <laughs> we're just seeing it popping off. You know, the 2018, it was just starting out. Then 2019, we're putting in the work and... 2020 was crazy but now this year for some reason we're just seeing books being published you know this one who was our client has got you know a a publishing deal this one's just published her own book this one's winning an award this one launched as a bestseller so we're seeing results with the ladies so it's just a fantastic i think covid uh, has i think covid gave a lot of people a push you know because a lot of our lifestyles have had to change we're doing you know that's one of the reasons i went into the writing uh, kept friends kept telling me for example you need to write Miriam you need to write you need to write I'm like yeah when I get a minute wow. yeah when I get a minute yeah, yeah when I get yeah. a minute and you know I, got don't... A few minutes. <laughs> I, I am a woman that does multitasking I, I'm I, like you I do you know the life coaching motivational speaking I've done a lot of things in my life alhamdulillah and I'm yeah. blessed but I'm one of those people that will persevere and push myself you know I'll yeah. have some people saying to me you're crazy and I will say well actually you're crazy for not doing what I'm doing you know, because I will push myself yeah. to the extreme. And even if yeah. I have, you know, like egg on your face, as we say, I'll still try. You know, I will persevere. Yeah. But the point is I can sit back and go, I tried. I might have failed or yeah. I tried a little bit. I didn't climb the mountain as much, but I, I tried to get there. You know, I'd rather yeah. try and do that. Last year for me personally was like a push. And I sat back and I think that's what people do with COVID. People think back, well, hold on a minute. I'm home now. I keep wanting to be home, for example, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now my yeah. employer's paying me to stay home with COVID. <laughs> what excuse Great. have I got? You know, some people yeah. have, you've, you've seen, they start baking. Some people have become like this PE expert. The, some of them have become these life gurus. We're all being pushed into different things, aren't we? Yeah. So we, we either sink yeah. or swim. And it's great. It's yeah. great to see all these different people that you've come across and see them succeed. I think that's the beauty. Yeah. yeah. The beauty for me as a coach and for my team, it's just, it's the best thing when we see our clients winning. Um, and yeah, especially when you know people, 
we're in an incubator, for example, we have something called the Children's Book Incubator, right? So we take authors, we put them through our masterclass program, and then four weeks we write and edit four stories yeah. and prepare them to be put to, for publication, you know, to be submitted to publishers and all the rest of it. And uh, to know that we've, we've run the incubator a few times and then when we're looking at sort of what people did after the incubator and you see you know, that story that we worked on in the incubator, yeah, it, it, she got a deal for that. She got a deal for that. Oh, she <laughs> ended up publishing that. It's just amazing. It's super cool. And it's an interesting word that you're using the incubator as well, you know? It's really <laughs> good. For children's stories, it's actually really good because that's what you need. Children's stories, once you have a good idea and you're clear on the basics, you know, who is it for age group-wise, okay? Mm. Who is it for demographic-wise? You know, what's the story? Who is it about? What's going to happen? Once, you, once you're kind of clear on the, the you know, the, the concept writing it doesn't take you long at all because it's not going to be more than a thousand words yeah. so you can if you wanted to you could write a children's story every day yeah if it, you wanted to yeah. you know what i mean you've got so that drive. You just you, but you just need that kind of space where okay there's a time limit and your editor's waiting so you need to write your draft take a break go back to it polish it up, send it to the editor, and then start working on the next one. It's almost like a boot camp. Yeah. But it's great because they, they, they produce the goods, you know, which might have taken them a whole year to do if they hadn't been in the, that incubator. So it's yeah. a super cool program. What do your friends and family think then? So, you know, if they look back at what you started off doing years back when you had that first little yeah. dream of, you know, I'm going to start writing, in, in not wanting to, but then going into that. <laughs> and what is, what is their opinion of you now? So has that changed over the years? That's a really good question, actually. I should put that to them. I think um, people who knew me from high school, etc., I think they are not surprised because I, I, always, I was always seen as one of those girls who was going to do really well. Yeah. So they, they're not surprised, even though, you know, I've changed my religion, I became Muslim, I started dressing differently. It's still the same girl. And she's still achieving, but just it looks slightly different. Yeah. Um, and then with you know with my friends around, I think the good thing for them is that their kids always get copies of my books as gifts. So it's it's kind of <laughs> so a, it's cool a win -win. thing. And then when the kids get older, it's a win win, right? When the kids get older and their their friends are reading like the novels, they can say, "Oh, I know her. That's my auntie." You know, so it's, it's quite nice. So you've got like a, a little bit of a status thing there, which is a nice thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 It's cool. I mean, it's nice also to think about that you're leaving a legacy, to be honest, as well. You yeah. know, you don't see yeah. you don't see that. Like I said to you before, you're doing something and you know you're changing that small little circle. But like I said, it has that ripple effect where you're changing yeah. not just a community, you're changing lots of other people. I mean, the fact yeah. that you've worked with um, Mufti Menk, that to me is like, wow, what a, what a dream come true. How did that come about? <laughs> Well, Mufti Meng's from my country, so we're both from Zimbabwe. Okay. So we actually go way back. And then we were at, um, we were in Nigeria for a, a conference. And uh, I just, I just, I had, I have this, this idea that anybody who has uh, an audience and who has a message, that message can be translated into something that is uh, suitable for children, right? Yeah. And if you have an audience, your audience will probably be quite excited about sharing your message with their children. So it, he was the first person I spoke to and said, what do you think about this? And he was like, I said, look, you've got your book, Motivational Moments. Let me go through it. 
let me pull out what I think would work well in a children's book and then we'll pitch it to a publisher. And he was like, yep, go ahead, do it, sounds cool, I'm, I'm down. So that's what I did. I, I kind of came up with the concept, we pitched it to Cube, Cube was like, uh, all day long, yes. Um, <laughs> and then I went away and I, and I wrote it. So we actually are preparing the second one now uh, in the series. So um, I'll be drafting that this week and then there are another another two that are sort of high profiles as well who are amazing individuals who are working on children's books with them as well so i can't say who they are yeah. top but, secret uh, top secret face. <laughs> <this> face, <laughs> top secret but you heard it you heard it here first <laughs> exactly exactly and i'm sure people will be looking out for that you know the this is the good thing i guess when you start writing you start networking with people that you hope to you know you hope to meet you hope to come across um, people that are also, um, what I like about the uh, the fact that you work with Mufti Menke is so humble. He's so humble and so yeah. down to earth. You can come across a lot of people in life that you want to work with. And sometimes they're very arrogant, very, you know, time consuming. They become, yeah. they forget, they forget the roots. They forget the struggle. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. one of the yeah. beautiful things I sense about yourself and I sense about him, that you've not forgot oh. your humble beginnings. You know, yeah, because yeah, that yeah. makes us, doesn't it? Um, yes, 100%. Okay, so what advice would you give for any future writers? Obviously, I will add your details to the bio, um, to, the, to the link where they can find your additional details. But what advice would you give to fellow writers that want to start writing but haven't? What advice would you give? I think the, the first thing that I, I tell all uh, you know, aspiring writers is, um, well, there are three things that I say. So the first is, you know, to give yourself permission. Um, a lot of us are waiting for somebody to give us permission, somebody to invite us to the table, to open the door for us. But you actually don't need anyone's permission to start writing. Uh, it's available to you. All you need to do is pick up a pen, pick up a pencil, open your phone, open your computer. You can start writing. Um, I have a, a free six-week writing course, which is all about that. It's called Fear Free Writing. And this is all about that. It's about just getting you into the headspace where you realize that I don't need to wait to do this. I don't need a qualification. I don't need an editor. I don't need anything. I can start writing immediately. So that's the first thing. Uh, and then the second thing is I really advise anybody who's serious about writing to read the kind of books that they want to write. So if you want to write children's books, read good children's books. If you want to write young adult novels, read good young adult novels. If you want to write literary fiction, read literary fiction, because what I found in my, my writing over the years, um, the other thing that we had when we were young, we had the storytellers, and then we had a literary magazine called Cricket. It was an American magazine, and that it was just basically full of stories, okay? Some non-fiction, some fiction, but just writing for children. And now when I go back through those magazines, I'll read a story and I'll recognize that line. And I'll realize that, wow, so that line that I used in my book, that's where it came from. Because when you're reading, you're basically building up a library, you know, as an English yeah. teacher, you're building up this, this, this rich repository of ideas, of images, of metaphors, of language, of, you know, of, of scenes, of, of, of themes, all of these things that you're picking up from what you're writing, when, when, when you're reading, when you start writing, it comes through. Yeah. Um, I, I did a workshop the other day and I was just explaining to, to, the, to the attendees that my book, Going to Mecca, has a very specific structure. 
Each stanza starts with a verb with a pilgrim. So walk with a pilgrim, look with a pilgrim, uh, chant with a pilgrim, whatever the case may be, right? And I was saying to them that, unbeknownst to me, that that style or what I did with that particular topic, because I wrote it after I came back from Hajj, I just sat down and I just started writing this thing. It just came out. But unbeknownst to me, it was inspired by Karen Wallace's Walk with a Wolf, which is one of, it's a, yeah. like a creative nonfiction series. Um, I can't remember the publisher now, but they had a whole collection of them. They had Think Like a Beaver, Walk with a Wolf, and some other ones. But Walk with a Wolf is one of my favorites. And when I, when I had finished writing it, and now when I read back over it, I can see the cadences were inspired by Karen Wallace's book because it was a book that really I loved to read to the children because of the way it sounded. And mm-hmm. then that was obviously subconsciously, I'm holding on to that. Mm-hmm. So when I now want to express myself, that's how it's coming out. So if you want to write for children, read good children's books, exactly as I said. Um, and it helps you as a writer. A lot of people think, oh, but I don't want to read, I want to write. No, you can't do that. <laughs> you cannot do that. You need, to, you need to immerse yourself in that genre. Yeah. If it's romance you want, read romance. If you want fantasy, you want to write fantasy, read good fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and you will see that you're just not that clueless anymore. No. You know, you actually have a grasp of how this genre works, how I can move within this genre, how I can move within this topic or within this theme. Uh, and yeah, it just makes your writing so much richer. So those are the two things I would say. Give yourself permission and read I think sometimes people hold on to the concept of fear and, you know, of course. The, the, the fear of rejection before they've even started, <laughs> you yeah. know, the fear of this is not good. The fear of rejection. This is not going to get published. I can remember yeah. when I was when I was drafting and editing mine, I actually did it through Amazon, through KDP Publishing. So I yeah. actually did the whole I did the book uh, cover myself. I did the spine. I did the whole blurb. And it was really hard trying to, like, you know, say stuff about yourself, which, you know, as an English teacher, you do. But you're like, you're having to say things in a different way. And I can remember some very close friends being very critical, like, oh, you're never going to get that published. You're talking, you're never going to do it. And then when it was published, it was like, can I have a copy? Yes, you can buy one. You can certainly buy one. Thank you very much. (laughs) Because their, their emphasis was... No, but shouldn't I get one free? No, you buy one. No. There's no there's no discount here. This is my no. this is my you know, discount is my favourite word, believe it or not. No <laughs> discounts know? for haters. No, discounts for but haters. When it, it comes to my hopefully, you know, next type of living, no, you go and purchase that book. So sometimes yeah. there's this concept of fear, isn't there? And then there's this concept of like you know, for me, it doesn't matter whether ten thousand people purchase one of my books or one. It doesn't matter to me. The point is I've done it. The point is, I've put yeah, that effort in and working. It's the and person, I, it's the woman you become along yeah. the way, for sure. What's your book about? Well, I've done three. Uh, I've, I'm working on some oh, other wonderful. ones. I've done one um, to do with, um, based in the classroom. So one is called Beyond the Classroom Gates. So that's like a drama to do with education. Then I've done that's one that's like a literary, uh, literary criticism. And uh, that's based on key Afghanistani novels. So complete contrast there. Amazing. So yeah, I did that, that one. Wow. And then the one I've just published, I've done Kindle versions as well, which, as you know, is hard. Um, this uh-huh. one is more uh, gritty. This is called Diary of Abuse of a Loved One. Oh, so okay. I've just come out of a very difficult marriage. I've divorced uh-huh. uh, my husband. Uh-huh. And um, I'm a counsellor, as well as many, many other things. 
and this was very hard actually to write but I felt it needed to be written to help lots and lots of I was counseling very similar people to myself in the similar situation and coming from a Muslim point of view also and being a female and divorcing your husband or an ex-husband very hard path you know but also the other people that I was coming across what whichever type of relationships they were in some of them have stayed in very narcissistic um, places again a topic that people don't want to touch but I felt like you I had to write it I had to write it so what I I end up at the minute I've got five six seven eight more books all that I've stopped and it's that's what I'm saying it's the work the other work that gets in the way if you get what I mean because you like you said it's a a journey isn't it it's a process that you have to keep working on and I'm sure you know people out there listening anyone can do it does doesn't matter what age you're at it doesn't matter where you are in life you know, um, sure. sometimes even my own students, they've been 12, 13, they've had the parents push them. It's amazing that sometimes you can have a parent supporting you to get published. Things yeah, have changed. Definitely. We're in 2021, yeah. things are changing. Very yeah. much so. So much it's so. interesting. I will make sure that in the bio, for those listeners out there, we will get some information from um, Naima to put in you know if you want to join her workshops if you want to have a look at some of the links of her books please feel free to do so Naima is there anything else you wish to say before we finish our podcast together to our listeners no really just uh, you know for, for everybody to just get clear on their dream and get clear on their goal and just keep going you know yeah. keep going that's what I, I say to all my clients I say to my students the only way you can fail is if you quit or if don't you try. Don't quit. You can't fail yeah. because all the time that you're, you keep going, you're building resilience, you're building commitment, you're becoming the person that deserves that success. Whatever that success looks like, yeah. you're becoming the person that, that deserves that. You are becoming the dedicated, the committed, the resilient, the gritty, yeah, the brave, the courageous, the patient, even. Okay? And, and, and writing is the same. So, for example, I had one client, she, she, she hired us privately to support her because she had this dream of publishing a children's book with a mainstream publisher. And the thing is, her storytelling style was so cute. We were like, girl, we're going to walk with you. It's cool. <laughs> so she, was, she came into our incubator. She worked on a lot of different topics, a lot of different ideas, and we helped her to develop them. And she kept submitting, and she kept getting no's. She kept submitting. She kept getting nothing back, nothing back, nothing back, right? Mm. And I said to her, look, Getting a publishing deal is 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 a is like a sacred alliance between three factors. Okay, mm. you have to have the right story, send it to the right publisher at the yeah. right time. If it's a fantastic story, but you send it to the wrong publisher, you're not getting a deal. Fantastic story, you send it to the right publisher but at the wrong time. So, for example, they've just published a book like that last year, yeah. or they're changing their their kind of you know they're, they're doing something different for the coming year. Yeah. You're just not going to get a deal, right? So it's not always that it's your work that is not good enough. It could be that it needs polishing. Yeah, I can't yeah. vouch for that. But it's not always that. So you need to your job. The only thing that you can do is to do the very best you can with your story polish it, make it as as top-notch as possible, okay? And then do your due diligence by researching the publishers, researching their current list, researching what they're looking for, how they want you to submit, etc. And then you let it go. 
and you go back and you write another story and you yeah. do the same process again and she did that and so what happened with her is that first she wasn't hearing anything back from anyone then she started to get rejection letters which yeah. were saying it's not for us then she started to get people saying we really like your style but, but. our audience is xyz mm -hmm. then she started getting people saying we like this but can you do something else then she started getting we like this we're going to discuss this at our next meeting yeah eventually she got her deal she got one there she got one there she got one there and i said to her imagine if you had quit when you right. were getting zero you know radio right. silence then you would have failed now even if you hadn't received this deal if you hadn't got this deal you still would not have failed because you have now become a, a prolific author and there's no reason to think that you can't put those into publishing places or even self-publish if you want to right yeah. but look at the determination look at the commitment look at the grit look at how you have grown through this process are you a better writer now than you were when you started 100 yes yeah so it's lovely to have the payoff of a publishing deal it's fantastic mm. to see your name on the cover of a book <laughs> but it's the woman you become along the way that's correct. the gold correct and i think rejection sometimes like you said can be like a bit of a turnaround you know you either become more resilient more determined to succeed or you see it as a smack in the face of i'm done you know, and that's most what I was saying. To, that. Yeah, most people do that. That's the thing, <laughs> and they don't look at it as like these are little speed bumps. You know, I, yeah. sometimes whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's going to be people of different faiths listening to this. It's a stop sign in the road, and sometimes yeah. it's a calling from whoever it is up there saying stop, not right now, keep going yeah. forward, turn yeah. left, right, you turn, yeah. whatever it is. But people don't look at it yeah. like that. They see it as hardcore rejection. But it's also going back to us, isn't it? It's, it's going back to that fear yeah. of, oh, yeah. I'm not good enough. Oh, no. I'm not good enough. I'm oh, good enough. my writing's yeah. not good but enough. But again, you see, if you have that, if you have that paradigm of, Correct. It's, not a, it's not about you. Sometimes it could be about you, okay? But of course, we never, ever, ever, ever suggest that people send their raw manuscripts to anybody. No, no. Always, always do everything you can to get the, top, the manuscript top notch. And I advise all my authors to hire an editor before they even go to a publisher. Yeah. It just helps. Yeah. When you've got something as an agent or an editor that lands on your desk, it reads well, there are no you know, typo, you know, typographical errors, there's, you know, there's no like crazy disjointed storytelling. It's just like, yeah, okay, I can enjoy this and, and I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying this. It's such, it's such a, a, a different experience. Uh, and it's something that you know will make you stand out when you when you actually do get an editor's eyes on it. So um, once you've done that, if that agent says no, it's not for me. That's her issue. Yeah, it's not her taste. No. It's not her style. She doesn't do books like that. No worries. There'll be someone Next else. one. So let's, let's, exactly. Is that thank you? Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. It's that resilience. It's that determination. And turning that no into a yes you know and what's not meant for you fine you it clo one door's closed another, another one's opened or another one's going to open it helps. it's it, just yeah, about yeah. it's just about being persistent and it's about having that um, mentality and spirituality that you're going to be moving forward thank you exactly. very much for that naomi it's you're been welcome. a pleasure having you and i'm sure we can add links like i said onto um you know the podcast so that if people want to join up or have a look at what you've written they can do that Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm going to now say goodbye. Thank you very much for tuning in to Raise Your Vibes.